We're going to jump into the word this morning and uh, into the message for this morning. And um, I wanted to share an encouragement this morning uh, that's been an encouragement to me and that would be an encouragement to you. As, and I'm praying that it will be an encouragement to you as well. So before we jump into the word, let me just pray with you. Just bow your heads and pray with me and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we pray that as we ponder on your word, as we hear your word this morning, as we sit where we're sitting and we listen to your word, would you move in us? Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds, our emotions? Would you allow us to hear you, to know your word, to, to recognize your word and to apply it to our hearts? God, we pray that you would lift us up as a community, even though we're kind of separate this morning. Lord, as we gather here together digitally, we pray that you would lift us up as a community. Remind us that you're speaking to us as individuals, but you're also speaking to us as a community, as a family, people belonging to you. And Lord, we pray that this word uh, would bring glory to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Life can be a bit of a pressure cooker, can't it? It can be challenging, um, it can be confusing, frustrating even. Uh, I'm thinking of all the words that I've been hearing from people lately, unpredictable, um, unexpected. Um, life can, and all those sorts of emotions can put us into a bit of a pressure cooker in life. Um, even especially now uh, for many of us. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you're in this bit of a pressure cooker? And, and, and then have you ever kind of stepped back to have a look at how you responded in that? It can be tough, but looking back at how you respond or can you reflect back to a time that was difficult or even in these last few months and just to maybe take a little bit of a look at how you responded to that. You know, some years back, and I've told this story before, some years back in the early 2000s, I found myself in Madagascar. And um, I'd gone to Madagascar and right in the midst of some political upheaval. And the country was actually closed. The country was locked down. And I'd flown in, unbeknownst to myself, on a media plane, the only plane they'd let in, thinking that I was going to get out after my week of ministry. But I wasn't. I was stuck in Madagascar. I was tired. I had been ministering in other parts of Africa for a few weeks already. I'd been under a bit of pressure um, and I just wanted to go home to be with Sue and the kids. I wanted to fly back to, we were living in Europe then and, and in short, I just wasn't happy. I was under pressure. And maybe too, I was a little scared. Uh, things were a bit unpredictable. Um, like, will this change? Uh, you know, are we safe? Um, the uncertainty and, and those sorts of things were at the top of my mind. And it made me reflect a little bit. Only about six months earlier, I'd been uh, into Malawi and another trip to Africa. And that had been quite difficult. And it was bringing back some memories of that as well. I got a little bit annoyed at God. I then got a little bit sick as well. And in the middle of this, I'm having these occasional satellite phone chats with Sue from a, a hangar. We were working at the airport. And I complained. I complained to Sue. I complained to God. I kind of lost confidence a little bit that God was with me. Was he really there? Uh, did he really care? Because 
you know, if God really cared, then he would find some magical way to get me out of there. Even when I retell this story, I sound to myself really irrational, in fact, even a little bit embarrassing. I certainly wasn't a witness to others. And the irony was that I had been teaching in Africa and other parts of Africa, I'd been teaching young people about missions and faithfully serving a, trust, a trustworthy God. Go figure. In short, I was totally not at peace. My confidence was rocked. I surely didn't have any joy and I wasn't showing joy to those around me. In fact, I was probably telling people how annoyed I was. I was complaining and I was restless and I wasn't pressing into God because I was fixated on myself, my own misery. I was looking at me and so I wasn't pressing into God. Asking questions like, if this is what happens when you follow God, when you serve God as a missionary, it was a pressure cooker. God in his mercy, he did get me out of there and it was all him and it was miraculous, but that's another story for another time. You know, I'm sure that we can all think of times like that when we wish, you know, when I think back now, I just wish I had responded better. And I'm sure we all have times like that where we wish we'd coped better. We look back and we, or even maybe we wish we were coping better or that we had reacted or, or that we were reacting better. Perhaps that we'd felt like we'd been a bit more confident, you know, in that scripture that, that Shane shared with us. And yes, that's true. Let me just be confident in that. Maybe that we trusted more, you know, rested in the fact that, you know, God's got this. And we use that kind of language. And I'm sure we can all think of times where we wish that we had done that better. I certainly do. You know, perhaps in my time there, and I should have read um, these, a few verses here in Hebrews and, and made these my own. And I, I want to read them with you this morning. I want to focus on a few verses in Hebrews with us this morning that are super encouraging. Um, read along with me. It'll be on the screen. But if you've got your Bibles, you know, open them up. And if you've got paper Bibles and pens, you know, I give you permission to scribble in your Bibles and put exclamation marks and circles around great things. So read just a couple of verses with me from Hebrews chapter 4. Just want to read you verses 14 through 16. Let me read that with you. Hebrews 4 verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Just those three verses. You've probably heard that scripture before. But I want to encourage us. I believe that God wants to speak to us through those this morning. Now, my story in Madagascar isn't exactly the same story as, as the Hebrew church. The, the believers, the Jewish believers that the, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to. My situation isn't exactly the same as the situation being addressed here. It's not a direct comparison. <clears throat> But the truth is, the truth of what it says there is. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to some Jewish Christians that had converted from Judaism and they'd now become followers of Jesus. They'd left behind their old Jewish ways to follow the teachings of Jesus. 
but they came under great oppression and persecution just because of their affiliation with Jesus. Not just from, from, from heathens or Gentiles or, or unbelievers, but even from their, the, the Judaic community. They came under great oppression, great persecution. They experienced imprisonment and even death at the hands of um, Jews that had not converted and at the hands of, of Gentiles. They were a despised people. They were kind of a section of people that, that were a bit despised. And, um, and they were living under constant threat. So it wasn't kind of like they were completely beaten every time they went out their door. But there was this threat hanging over them all the time. Things were unstable for them. They never knew when things were going to blow out, when it wasn't going to work for them. They were unsure. Things were unpredictable. And so we see, if we read the history of the Hebrews and we read a little bit behind there, we see that some of them lost their nerve. They lost their joy. They lost their peace and they lost their confidence in God. And so some started to talk about going back to Judaism. You see, if we go back to Judaism, if we abandon the faith and go back to the old way, it was way easier, less pressure. Let's just give in to what they're telling us to do. They wouldn't, have been, they wouldn't be oppressed anymore. Um, the systems and the sacrifices of the old Jewish way, well, they seemed to work, didn't they? You know, we always understood that they worked. Maybe this Jesus thing and this new truth isn't what it seems. How can he save us from this? And there was the ensuing reverse evangelizing that was happening. People that were wanting to turn away were starting to say to the new believers, come back and do this because this is way better here. It's way more peaceful. Things are working for us here. So those who were trying to hang on were being almost evangelized back, reverse evangelized. But just so you know, these were not bad people. Weakness is common to us all, isn't it? And there's a clue in that if you look at verse 15 in our text. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's clear that weakness is common to all, isn't it? So in light of all that's happening to them, the writer to the Hebrews has two major things that he wants to get across to them as he speaks to them. And he spends and he looks at all different ways to do that. But the two major, major messages, if you like, the two things that he wants, to, uh, wants them to understand, he wants to elevate Jesus. He wants to remind them that Jesus is far superior to everyone and anything. And in the book you read, he talks about Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests. In fact, even the high priest. You know, angels, they knew historically that the word of the Lord came through angels. But the writer is saying that Jesus is even greater than angels. When he speaks, that's the word of the Lord. Moses was somebody that spoke to them every... Uh, when he spoke to them, he spoke to them of... Um, of God's word, that God had spoken to Moses and he would pass it on to the people. But the writer is saying that Jesus is greater than Moses now. That when Jesus speaks, that supersedes Moses' word. And even the high priests. And the writer is going to show them that in the Hebrew scriptures. The whole book is about Jesus being greater and better than anything or anyone. So that's the first thing that he wants to do right through the book. To build their confidence. The second thing he's doing, he wants to challenge them to remain faithful to Jesus despite the persecution. Because nothing, 
and no one else was going to bring them home. Even though the situations and challenges were causing them to take their eyes off of Jesus, don't take your eyes off him because he is the only faithful guide and he will lead them to life with God to eternity. And so they're the two major things that the writer is trying to communicate, that Jesus is greater than anything and to challenge them to remain faithful. And in the first few chapters before our reading, he's been laying out how great, how supreme Jesus is. He says that he's greater than Moses. And like I said, you know, Moses was one where they felt the truth came from, that he was a source of God's communication. But he's saying now Jesus is supreme to Moses. But he also actually tells them off a little bit in these first few chapters. And he shows them what happens when you abandon or when you disobey God. And he refers to the Israelites in the desert. The reason they didn't get to see the promised land was because they were disobedient. And they abandoned God. They lost confidence in God. And they died there. They didn't see the promise. And now in our text, in these few verses that we read, he begins to encourage them. He says, since then, you know, that's that. So because we have a great high priest, in fact, the greatest and better than all, he starts off with, since then, because of that. And he's saying that Jesus is even greater than the high priest. He starts off, and we have a great high priest. That language would have struck the listeners quite hard. Greater than the high priest? That was radical. You see, the high priest was the one to reestablish or to bring peace into their lives with God. Historically, the only one that could actually bring them peace with God um, that appeased God for their sins was the high priest. It was his sacrifices that finally appeased God and brought peace with him. It was his sacrifice. Once they made those sacrifices, they could leave the temple confident and at rest and at peace, knowing they were good with God. But the writer is saying now that since Jesus, having ascended into heaven, is greater than the high priest... And they should know that. They've been taught that when they've been introduced to the gospel. He's saying because of that, because Jesus is the greater high priest that you confessed, hold on to that confession. Don't slip back to the old model, to the old hold on to that confession. Hold fast, grip it, don't let go. You know, other versions of, of those verses in other translations of the Bible, it says, hold fast to the faith you profess. Same sort of thing. Hold, hang on to what you professed or hold firm to what you said you believed. Your confession when you said you believed something. And the language that the writer is using, that language is, has a tenacity to it. Hold fast is like grip it and it has grit. And it kind of is the same sort of language that they, they would have used when they talked about the way that Jacob held on to the angel when he was fighting. That grit, that tenacity, that don't let go. And the writer is saying, Hold fast. Don't let go to what you've confessed. But then he goes and says, not only did this great high priest ascend into heaven, he was here with us on earth in human form. And unlike the high priests of old, who were separated a little bit from general society, separated a little bit from the reality on the ground that the believers and the Jews were going through, uh, lived quite privileged lives. In fact, the high priests were very well looked after, very highly paid and, and very well respected, but lived a little bit aloof and separate 
from the rest of the world. He says, unlike the priests of old, this high priest, Jesus, has been tempted in every way and he understands our weaknesses. He knows they're real. But he didn't sin or fall off the perch of faith. He knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what a lack of peace or or perhaps joy would feel like. He would understand that restlessness and perhaps he would even understand the terror even. Can you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? The terror and the fear of an impending uh, painful death. But this high priest, he held fast. He held fast to what he knew to be true. And so because of that, the writer is saying, let's have confidence to draw near, to approach God, to ask for the mercy and grace we need in our time of need, he says to them. And boy, they needed. The inference here is if, that, if they draw near, they'll receive mercy and grace. They'll find grace. They'll find the stamina, the joy to keep going, the courage to face the persecution, the peace that only he can give, the peace that only this great high priest Jesus can bring into their life, even though their situation might not change. Do you remember a few weeks? I spoke about that peace a few weeks ago when I was, when I was sharing with you. I was speaking about the peace that Jesus gives doesn't often change or doesn't always change the circumstances, but it comes to you in the circumstances. He comes to you in the circumstances. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. That's what he's saying to them in their persecution. You know, I've spoken to many people in these past few weeks and in these past months even. People of faith, people in the church, I might have spoken to you. And I've spoken to people that don't have faith, people that don't know Jesus. And I often hear things like this. I don't feel peace. I've lost a bit of peace. There's a lack of peace in our world and I feel it. There's a lack of peace in our society. There's a nervousness in our society and I, I feel it. And consequently, I feel that in my heart. And I'm finding it hard to have joy. I, I feel restless myself. There's uncertainty and I feel insecure. My confidence is low. I'm, I'm worried about my job. I'm, I'm worried about myself or, or my health. I'm worried about others, perhaps family or, or um, elderly people in our family. or I'm worried about people in power, how they're using this or what's happening. And so there's so many different emotions that we feel. This whole range of emotions from fear to uncertainty to mistrust to where can I have confidence? <clears throat> and we don't mean to come across like that, but that's the kind of language that I'm hearing. And maybe even lately here in Melbourne, that's increased with the second lockdown. I'm hearing things like, I'm a bit deflated, disappointed, disinterested. I'm having, I'm having trouble this second time getting myself going. We're watching a world struggle. And very sadly, too, we're seeing an increase in people giving up on that struggle. And that's so sad to read, isn't it? And admittedly, you know, it's not just people that I talk to. <clears throat> it's not just you out there. I have seasons where I have those same feelings and emotions. I'm sure that we all do. <clears throat> Whether that's fear or, or worry or, or mistrust or, 
or suspicion, whatever that might be. But those things rob us of our peace and our certainty and our confidence, don't they? You see, our attention and our focus and our eyes are drawn away from Jesus, the one who is our true comfort, who is our true joy, who is our true peace and rest. Can you resonate with that? Is that true for you at times too? And whilst we're pretty much focused on COVID-19 and, and that world we're living in right now and the devastation that it is causing, there are yet still so many other situations and issues in our world that trouble us, both near and far. We still hear of oppression. We still hear of uh, abject poverty and pain and suffering that the world's going through. Those things are all still real as well. So I believe these few verses in Hebrews are a great lesson for me and for you and a great encouragement, a word for us today. A simple word for sure, <clears throat> but a great word. And the question is, is God supreme in my life? Is God supreme in your life? Because like the writer says, this could be written to us. Since we also do have the greatest high priest who made the ultimate sacrifice for us, let's hang on to our faith and what we believe and know is true. So what do you believe? What do you believe in the good times and what do you believe in the not so good times, in the harder times? What is your confession? Ponder that for a moment. What do you believe about God? You know, when it's, when it's good and it's great and it's easy to sort of sing praises to God, but what about in the hard times? What, what do you actually believe? What's your confession? What do you profess? Is Jesus greater than the things that could rob your peace and confidence? Is he greater than the things that we see around us? Does he still have the whole world Yours included in his hands. You know, I've used an analogy a few times talking to people this week that it can feel like that when we sang that song as a kid, he's got the whole world in his hand. We picture this ball in the hands of God and, and we sing it with confidence as a kid. But sometimes right now it feels like the ball's teetering or, or falling out. Is that true? Is he, does he still have the whole world in his hands? Having something in your hands means you have it in control. Does he have that? Does the good news of great joy that we've been talking for a few weeks about, does that still fill your heart with peace and confidence? Well, the truth is, the answer to that is, yes, he does still have the world firmly in his hands. And yes, he is great. And the good news of great joy is still true. All those things are still true. And as we hold on to these truths, as we hold on to those confessions, they in turn hold on to us. You know, Charles Spurgeon, when he was reflecting on these few verses, he said this, and it'll be up on the screen, have a read of this. While we hold fast to the profession of our faith, the blessed truths of that faith may also hold us fast, just like an anchor holds a ship. Never was there a time in which this was more needful. That exhortation, let us hold fast, might well be written on the cover of every Christian's Bible. We live in such a changeful age that we need all to be exhorted to be rooted and grounded, confirmed and established in the truth. You know, reading that, you might think that he was living through COVID. We live in such, changeful, in such a changeful age. 
But the beauty is he says, when we hold on to the truth, the truth then holds on to us. Jesus then holds on to us. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Isn't that the truth? Hold on to what we know is true. We need it. We always have, and it's true now. And who could possibly understand what we think or fear or worry about? Do you ever catch yourself saying, Oh, does God really understand what I think or fear or worry about? Who could understand that we don't feel so happy right now? That we don't feel joy or peace? Humans, partners, uh, other humans, our partners and our friends can try to understand us. But who could really understand Well, the writer tells us that Jesus can. He's able to sympathise with our situations, our responses, our weaknesses. He's not like that distant, aloof high priest that the, the Jews knew of at the temple who was demanding but had no idea what it was like out there. No, our great high priest is able. He does know. There was a commentator, I read a a commentary, and a commentator, Raymond Brown, said this. He's not suggesting that Jesus experienced every type of temptation we do. But at the root of different temptations encountered by humans, there are a number of basic trials. And Jesus certainly knew what it was to emerge victorious from a struggle. He knew that temptations, if unconquered, led to doubt, despair and disobedience towards God. And they led to lovelessness towards others and selfish preoccupation. Jesus' whole life was one of temptation. And the very fact that he had the powers and abilities which we don't have only added to that stress. We have a great high priest who does know, who, who, who does understand what it feels like and what, what it's like. Jesus knows and understands. He knows stress. He knows lack of peace. He knows restlessness. He knows confusion and sadness and annoyance and fear. And all of those things we establish, we experience rather in the valleys and the uncertain times that we might find ourselves in. And let me assure you, the language there isn't Jesus just knows what humans experience, general, as in humanity. Jesus understands what you and I experience. My specific list, my specific concerns and fears and restlessness, your specific ones Jesus is, this great high priest is very personal. He understands your weaknesses. He understands my weaknesses. That's a confidence builder. And then our text culminates, that last verse, doesn't it? Our three verses, our third verse culminates with this wonderful verse. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Because Jesus is the greatest high priest, he has made the ultimate and final sacrifice so that we belong to him. And because he's not aloof, because he's not lacking understanding of the things that we experience or face, we can have the full confidence to draw near to this Jesus, to press into him, to pray. You know, drawing near is other language for praying, praying and seeking him and getting in and seeking his face. And we will receive what we need, mercy and grace. But wait a minute. Mercy and grace. I started pondering that. We need mercy and grace. I'm thinking COVID-19, the things that I'm hearing and things that I'm experiencing. We need mercy and grace. 
Mercy and grace are good, but they are things that I need for when I've done wrong, right? And we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper soon, and, and we reflect on that. We, we know that we've, we need mercy and grace for the things that we've done. And, and whilst they sound nice and, and I acknowledge I need them, I think I was thinking of other needs when I was reading this. Uh, you know, I want to you know, draw near to God with confidence so that I would receive solutions, that I would receive healing, that I would receive peace, that I would receive hope, that I would receive comfort or my fun back. You know, that restaurant meal, my enjoyment back, that I would receive, no, whatever it is, fill in, use your list. I often think that as a human, I draw near to God and I'm encouraged to do that, but I want to receive those things. And I'm doing my best here, and, but you know, I get this victim mentality. I'm doing my best here, but the world's doing wrong by me and things aren't going as I planned. This disease is impacting me. And this is the greatness of Hebrews. And this is, I love the book of Hebrews. It, some commentators say it's one of the most hardest to understand and yet one of the most profound, uh, uh, profound messages because it's real. Hebrews stays real. And this is where we see that the writer is encouraging but also disciplining the listeners, disciplining us with a loving discipline. Because you see, having a lack of peace or a lack of joy or losing our confidence or having our focus fall onto ourselves and our pain and, and looking at all the things that I'm feeling, my suspicions, I don't like this. Those things are actually sin, aren't they? It's us saying that God and what he's done in Jesus isn't enough right now. It isn't working. It can't cover the situation. The joy was good in the good times, but I lost it somehow. My confession isn't worth holding on to because it's not doing its work. And that's why the, the writer pressed the Jewish Christians on that, wasn't it? Because they were sort of saying, look, it was good, but now that I'm, I'm in this struggle, it's, it's not working anymore. And if we read in Hebrews, we see that earlier in Hebrews in chapter 3, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. And he repeats that before our text, that appears another two times. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why would he talk about that if that wasn't what they were doing? You see, he wants to love them and encourage them. But he's saying, you need mercy and grace. You think you just need peace. You think you just need freedom. You think you just need uh, to be released from COVID-19. You think you just need a vaccine. You think you just need certainty, whatever it is. But what you're doing is you're taking back the responsibility for making life feel good and work right instead of trust trusting that great high priest and saviour. I want to be careful here, and I'm not saying that we don't suffer some unchosen sicknesses and mental anguish. That's very real in our community right now. And some of those, some of those things that people suffer are making those statements for them, are rejecting God for them, and it's difficult. It's real mental anguish and that sort of stuff. But this is what the writer is saying to us. And, you know, can it sound a bit harsh to you? It's actually not harsh. When you read it, when you think about it, when you ponder it, it's not harsh. 
because it amplifies the amazing encouragement of these verses. It actually unearths them, doesn't it? When we acknowledge our sin, when we go to him to receive mercy and grace, it opens the door. Those things that we receive from God, mercy and grace, they're the conduit for us to be able to walk in the peace and the joy that God has, the rest and the confidence he gives. You see, we're not going to reach those things that we think we need without first receiving that mercy and grace that we need from our loving Saviour, from the great High Priest. We need forgiveness first. We need to acknowledge him first. You see, Jesus even knows this and he sympathises with this part of us as well. So much so that he took responsibility for that. And he died for those and all the other sins that are in our lives. So we can be confident because God, who was not obligated to redeem us, nonetheless promises to forgive us if we submit to Christ. We can draw near in confidence, firmly believing God's promise of grace. This has set us free and it will continue to set us free. So the message to me this week and the message to us, won't you go to him with that confidence? Receive that mercy and grace. Receive the help that you need. The challenge to me, won't I go to him with that confidence, receive that mercy and grace and receive the help that I need to align myself with the truth of our salvation, that you need to align yourself with the truth of your salvation. And then receive the grace to walk with him through these things that we face, that, that we receive the grace then. And you notice that's there twice, that, the thr- that um, let's then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, finding that ability to walk in what Christ has for us. And as the writer wants us to know, that's why Jesus is so far superior to anyone or anything else in our lives. Stick with him, the writer's saying, because he is a faithful guide and he will take you home. You know, right now, the weight, the pain in our world with COVID-19, oppression and poverty and so much more, we can feel our joy and peace and confidence being taxed. I feel it and I'm, I'm sure that you do. But let's press into God with confidence and find the help, the hope and the strength to not only go on ourselves, but also to show the world that our peace cannot be so easily robbed. Our joy comes from a supernatural place. It doesn't come from our immediate circumstances. And our confidence isn't shaken by temporary struggle or temporary difficulty because it's built on Christ, our great high priest, who is greater than all. Hold on to what you believe. He knows, he understands, and he cares. Draw near, get close to him, and know peace. How great is that Jesus? How very superior. You know, I'm reminded of an old hymn that has encouraged many in history. Many of you listening will have heard it before. Many, many people in history have been encouraged by this hymn in tough times. And I just want to read the first verse with you, just the the words of the first verse. And as soon as I start reading it, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. It goes like this. 
What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer, to draw near. Oh, what peace we often forfeit and what needless pain we bear, all because we don't carry everything to God in prayer, all because we don't in confidence draw near. Will you take everything to him? Will you press in to him? Will you draw near to him? Take his hand and let him lead you home. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that uh, your word again today is so encouraging. Has so much to, to, to tell us, to reveal to us, to remind us. Um, your love just seems to be endless. Your word in other places using, uses language like your love overtakes us. It, it reigns us in and it's so wonderful to be a part of that. And Lord, the reality of what we go through isn't lost on you. It is, it's not misunderstood by you. It's Jesus, you experienced it. And you reach right in and say, draw near to me and receive what you need. God, I thank you for your encouragement this morning. We praise you, Lord, that you never, ever stop reaching out to us, reminding us of how great the work that you did was, how great you are, how much you love us, how much you see us, how much you desire us. Lord, help us to desire you. Lord, when it's difficult to desire you, help us to press in and learn to desire you more. Help us, Lord, to see the situation around us being real, but to see you as greater and knowing that only you can take us home. We thank you and praise you for your word this morning. Amen.